It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hectic weekend. I was trying to think and um, started off Friday afternoon, St. Patrick's Day. Went with a, met a large group of people, all different ages, um, at an Irish bar for St. Patrick's Day. No surprise. The one thing that did surprise me is, first of all, it's kind of a sign of age because the, the place I was in was really, really, really loud. And it was one of those things where you are screaming at the top of your lungs for people to hear you. And I think there was a point in my life where that wouldn't have really bothered me. But at the end, it was kind of like, oh, this is where I'm going. But here was the weird thing about the particular Irish bar that I was in. St. Patrick's Day. Now, they've got pitchers of green beer and they've got Jameson's and all those type of things. Um, Lots of Guinness. And they had music that was very, very loud. But it wasn't Irish music. I mean, I was in this prominent Irish bar. In Wauwatosa, from I I don't know probably like one thirty till three thirty or something like that, and there were no Irish tunes. It was like loud rock and roll music and stuff, and it was well done music. But how can you be in an Irish bar on St. Patrick's Day and they not play Irish music? But nonetheless, that did not stop everybody involved from having a very very good time. Although I think I lost a couple lost a couple uh, decibels in my range for hearing, but it was fun nonetheless. We have a jam-packed program today. We start off the show like we start off every show, the segment I call Three Big Things, things that I think you need to know about to discuss today at work or the gym or at lunch or in the the coffee closet. And I I suspect that big thing number one, there really probably is not a more significant issue today than this. And this isn't this isn't President Trump's claims that he was wiretapped, nothing like this. This is the day that today is the day that the Senate Judiciary Committee begins its hearings trying to decide whether or not to confirm Justice Judge Neil Gorsuch to replace Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court. Now, what's interesting about this is that under normal circumstances, this would not be that big a deal. Now, obviously, the Supreme Court is a is a big deal. I appreciate that. But I don't believe that there is anyone out there who argues that federal appeals court judge Neil Gorsuch is not incredibly qualified. Um, he's visited 72 of the 100 U.S. senators. Everybody describes him as being lawyerly, judge-like, restrained, witty, nice, a decent guy, and a really smart guy. That this is, he is the type of person that would embody the type of person who should be on the U.S. Supreme Court. He is not controversial in the sense of outlandish opinions. He's not controversial in the sense of, you know, questionable financial dealings. The guy is a straight arrow. He is somebody that in normal times should be confirmed without any problem. Now, the truth is, he will be confirmed. I mean, when we had Ron Johnson on the program a couple weeks ago, he said, he, you know, he will be confirmed. But it is going to be ugly. Why is it going to be ugly? Well, first of all, you've got Democrats who are smarting over the fact that uh, the last appointment that President Obama made to the court, Merrick Garland, wasn't able to get a hearing. So Democrats are smarting at that. They resent it. Secondly, Democrats believe that Donald Trump is not a legitimate president. I don't know what that means necessarily. He won the electoral vote, but they believe he is not a legitimate president, and they resent the fact that their legitimate president, Barack Obama, couldn't get an appointment through the Senate, but now an illegitimate president, Donald Trump, will. Number three, 
Democrats are feeling their oats because of the start of the Trump administration and some of the controversial things. They're looking at some of these public opinion polls that show that Donald Trump's approval rating is, well, the Gallup poll has it at 37%. And they are getting pressure from the left, pressure from the far left, the activist groups, are putting lots and lots of, making lots and lots of phone calls and making lots of, I don't want to say threats, but it's pressure. You know, if you want us to continue to fund these things, what you have to do is you have to oppose anybody that Trump puts up there. It doesn't matter the merits. If it's Donald Trump, you have to fight it. And Chuck Schumer getting lots of presence and uh, pressure um, big story in Politico over the weekend, activists telling lawmakers they better go hard after Trump's Supreme Court nominee. So essentially this line is being drawn in the sand, despite the fact that you have, again, a very, very good, a very, very good Supreme Court nominee. So the hope is put pressure on him. Let's go after him. Let's attack him. Let's hope he stumbles. Let's hope that there's flop sweat or something like that, and that will give us a basis. But the activists are telling the Democrats that if you do not oppose him and oppose him hard, there will be consequences for you. So even though that there's a lot of Democrats out there who agree that Gorsuch is incredibly qualified and should sail through confirmation hearings. Now, look, I understand he's not good. he would not be somebody – that would be appointed by a Barack Obama. But elections have consequences. And in this particular case, I don't think anybody can seriously argue that the guy does not have the judicial temperament and the background and the skill set to be the next justice of the Supreme Court. But it will be a bloodbath. It's worth watching because you know that there will be these efforts to try to dissect opinions that he has written over the years, and you know that the New York Times and the Washington Post and many of the usual suspects will play into that, and these will be the headline stories. Gorsuch does this. Gorsuch does that. He wrote an opinion where he said this or that or whatever. This is the big thing to watch, and we will be discussing this all week about whether or not these attacks on soon-to-be Justice Gorsuch's Gorsuch are gaining any sort of momentum or not. But the biggest story, perhaps, of the day, especially for a lot of people who made the decision to vote for Donald Trump because he would have the ability to appoint people to the United States Supreme Court, that's what this is all about. So um, the appointment, I think, was great. I think Gorsuch should sail through. I believe, unless there's some major problem, that he will be confirmed. But it's probably going to be confirmed on a straight party line vote, 52 to 48. Those hearings start today, and we will be watching them all week. Big thing number two, a controversy in a Madison public high school. I'll share it with you, and we will discuss. Stick around. It's 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Big thing number two, what are the cops supposed to do? In the People's Republic of Madison, it seems like whatever the police do, it it is wrong. And there are some community activists who really appear to legitimately believe that the community would be better if police officers weren't around. Remember a few months ago you had the controversy in Madison where you had the the 18-year-old black woman who got involved in an altercation in the mall, the East Town Mall, ended up pulling a knife on someone, threatening to kill other people. Um, they, it's, it's so bad, they have to call the police. 
The police show up. She resists arrest. She spits at the cops. And, and that becomes this cause celeb where you hear at people going, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe that they arrested her. She's been arrested because she's black. This is awful. And the DA's office ends up caving in and violating its own internal standards by putting her on pretrial diversion. And, of course, the reality is I think perhaps if this had been somebody of a different color, the charging decision would be different. But because it gets racialized, everything is different. Well, here's the latest example of that. It's the headline, the way it appears in the Madison Papers. Madison Police Department responds to community leaders angered by the arrest of a Madison East student. All right. Now, the student in question is a 17-year-old junior at Madison East and a member of the girls' varsity basketball team. She was arrested following a physical altercation that involved others, her and other students at the school on Thursday. She was detained overnight in the jail, and her initial court date was set for early next week. A group, a group of community leaders um, were unhappy um, because of this situation. Here's what the here's what the Madison police had to respond to. Um, there was a fight at the East High School cafeteria during the lunch hour on Thursday. It ended up involving multiple students engaged in physical altercations. Eight officers and a school security staff were brought and school security staff were brought in to restore decorum. Four students were arrested. Two went to the juvenile reception center. Two went to the Dane County Jail. So now let's just stop there for a second. Right. This is not like a food fight in the lunchroom. This is something multiple students physical altercations, it takes eight police officers and school security staff to bring this in line. So you've got this huge problem that's going on. There was a video, this this is their statement that continues. There was a video posted on Facebook pages showing some of what took place. It depicts one young woman approaching another who is seated at a table. A voice off camera says, do your thing. At that moment, the young woman at the table gets up and both students begin throwing punches at one another. (laughs) They end up on the floor throwing more punches and pulling hair. At this point, chaos breaks out with many students getting involved, some also throwing punches. All right. So one of the people that is arrested is this 17-year-old athlete who apparently was involved in this thing. She's on the basketball team here's what the the police chief says he says that they show up to resolve the fight and said there's a statute that says when someone is age 17 or younger um they have certain protections and if you're 17 or older and you throw punches and there's a physical assault and a 16 year old gets injured well you are treated as as an adult, um, in the immediate case involving the East High incident, there were injuries claimed by a 16-year-old that were allegedly caused by the 17-year-old. Based on the reported injuries presented and complained of by the 16-year-old, this caused bodily harm to a child. There was probable cause to charge the 17-year-old with physical abuse to a child and arrest her. So you got a 17-year-old that beats up the 16-year-old or they're in a fight. Um, they come in. They break it up. There's injuries in the 16-year-old, so the 17-year-old gets arrested. She gets taken downtown, and she spends the night in the clink.
Right? That that's what ended up happening. Now, people in Madison, or at least some people, are outraged that the police had to get involved in this situation. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you're new to the program, you can not only call us, but you can also text us your reaction. Here's my question. Big thing number two. What are the police supposed to do? I think it is unfortunate that you now have high schools or high school students that are so out of control that when a fight breaks out in the cafeteria, you need eight cops and a full set of school security staff to break it up. But once those cops get on the scene, once it is that bad, and you've got people rolling around on the floor, throwing punches, and people getting injured, is it unreasonable, regardless of the race of the perpetrators, to take some people in and put them in the clink? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, what are the police supposed to do? And like I say, they're getting heat from the community activists for showing up in the first place and then for arresting two 17-year-olds, particularly this one who happens to be African-American, and, you know, taking them downtown and then booking them. But the law says if you're 17 years old, now you might be able to argue that it's a stupid law, But the law says if you're 17 years old or older and you get involved in one of these altercations and you cause injury to somebody who's under 17, then you are treated as an adult. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, what are the cops supposed to do? And is there a separate rule that we should put in place saying, well, if it's an African-American student, you can do it one way. If it's a white student, you do it another way. If it's an Hispanic student, you do it another. 414-799-1620. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, lock her up. Um, you know, because we, the police are in a, between a rock and a hard place. If they break up the fight, separate them, and then go on their way, and then seventh hour at a you know, the one girl beats her up in the bathroom. We're all supposed to be, you know, why didn't the police do anything? Here, she broke the law, regardless of what what her race is, and follow the rules, throw her in jail. Right. There's a, I mean, there's a whole process that has to take place, and, and I think it sends a good message to the other kids. You know, this is not, you know, Folsom Prison. This is a high school, public <laughs> high school, and if you can't behave, you're gonna, we're going to throw you in the clink, and we're going to tell everyone else, if you can't behave, that's where we're going to put you. Well, well yeah, and, and you know, Mike, I mean, look, I understand. I think sometimes sometimes schools rely on the police too much to handle situations instead of just, okay, you know, here's what the principal comes in and impose, imposes discipline. But from what I'm able to glean about this situation, th- this was a, a near riot in the lunchroom that, you know, was precipitated by these fights. And at some point in time, it's like, okay, if you need eight cops to show up, that tells me this is, again, it, it's more than two kids just getting into a pushing match. Right. And part of it, though, is also the culture. If somebody was videotaping, they anticipate oh, yeah. this to happen. And it's like the things that happen in Mayfair Mall and all you know, somebody tweets something, and then all of a sudden, all heck breaks loose. So, well, yeah. Oh no! Clearly, this was this was at least on on the part, and I, I don't know about the girl who got arrested, but at least at some point in time, the, the the people who instigated this this was staged. One girl goes up to another. Somebody yells, "Do your thing!" They've got the cell phone thing there. This was a prearranged fight, at least on the. It was planned, at least on the, one of the parties. And of course, now thanks. I mean, again, but I, I'm looking at this reaction. It's like the cops are the bad guys. Where where did that come from? Bob in Richfield. Bob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. You know the saying that without laws, there's anarchy. So what the police have to do is keep doing their job, 
keep locking these people up, and if the DAs or whoever in Madison keep letting them loose, so be it. But keep doing the diligence of your job and keep doing what you have to do. And they did the right thing, yeah. and they'll keep doing the right thing because they have honor and they have integrity. Um, absolutely. Th- thanks for calling. And, and they're, they're, even if you get criticized from certain segments of the community. Now, look, ultimately the DA's office is going to be the one responsible for deciding what charges are going to end up being brought and where do you go with them. All right, and that's going to be a separate story. But this idea that this girl, this young woman, is somehow a victim because she gets arrested and she ends up having to spend the night in the Dane County lockup after apparently allegedly being involved in what seems like a pretty brutal fight, it, It's that's not the cop's problem. It's not the cop's problem. It's the problem of the kids who acted out. Now, again, the DA can decide what they want to do, but this is this huge controversy in Madison once again, and it just makes you wonder why anybody wants to be a police officer in Madison because anything you do is going to be viewed as being the wrong thing, especially apparently in certain segments of the community when you're dealing with people of color. Big thing number three is coming up. David Clark escalates his battle with Tom Barrett. Stick around. It's 908. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Big thing number three, the controversy between Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark and Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett continues to escalate. Um, Late last week, for reasons that pass understanding, Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett decided to go on some cable news thing or something, some cable channel, and, and mock David Clark for being an absentee sheriff when it comes to issues of crime. Now, as I mentioned on Friday's program, this this takes a lot of chutzpah coming from, from Tom Barrett because what, whatever you else you want to say about the, the city of Milwaukee, if you want to talk about, well, you know, downtown is growing and look at the expansion, we've got this and that going on, which might be fair. If, if there was an issue, ever an issue, that Tom Barrett should stay the heck away from, it would be crime in the city of Milwaukee because I believe, at least in my opinion, by any sort of measure, to argue that crime is under control in his city would be, well, just divorced from reality. You cannot pick up the newspaper or turn on the radio or turn on the TV on any given day without hearing stories about shootings or 14-year-olds that are carjacking people or whatever. Now, you might you know, say, okay, it's not fair to hold the mayor responsible for this, but at the same time, Crime is not an issue that I think is really Tom Barrett's strong point when it comes to aggressively fighting that. Well, Tom goes on, again, this this cable channel or whatever, and starts to mock David Clark for this. And as I said on Friday, again, I thought it was it was the height of irony that this would be the issue that Tom Barrett would, would take. So Clark responds, and then he responds again. And it is his latest response that the Journal Sentinel is reporting on that I wanted to get your reaction to. Now, you all will perhaps remember, or if you were around here at the time, you will remember an incident. Um, it was it's around State Fair, so the summer, what, August of 2009. Um, Tom Barrett was getting ready. He it was, I think, heading into, oh, it's coming out of State Fair, um, where he walking to his car, and what happens is he hears a woman yelling. There's a guy who at the time was 20 years old, was arguing with his ex-girlfriend's mother. 
um, she was crying for for help. Barrett, who apparently was not with any bodyguards at the time or something, says, uh, you know, to you know his um, he's with his sister and a couple of his daughters. Say, hey, get them back. He then and he goes and he confronts this this twenty year old attacker, trying to calm him down. He also pulls out his cell phone, presumably to call the the police. And as he's trying to calm down this situation, the guy attacks Barrett and and beats him and beats him pretty severely. Um, and if you can remember the pictures at the time, you know he he was pretty darn marked up from this. I mean, he was attacked and he was beaten pretty severely by by the guy. But I think most of us felt that he was doing what you would like to see somebody do. You hear somebody crying for help. You you go and you try to make the situation better. And just sometimes these are the things that are going to happen to you. So regardless of how you feel about Tom Barrett's politics, I think for most of us you'd say, hey, he did the right thing. He could have kept on walking. He could have just stayed back, called 911, let this altercation you know, increase. But he tried to... He tried to calm it down, and he ended up getting hurt for you know what what he did. But I think he deserves credit for trying to intervene. So anyhow, late, late last week, Barrett attacks Clark with regard to crime fighting. Clark responds, and then he responds a- again. This is on his county Facebook page. This is what the sheriff says: The last time Tom Barrett showed up at a crime scene, he got his ass kicked by a drunk tire-iron-wielding man who beat him within an inch of his life. The milk-toast mayor, trying to play cop, foolishly thought he could simply talk the man who beat him senseless into backing down. Bet he won't try that again. If you had to call for help, who would you rather see show up, me or timid Tom? Time to crawl back into your hole, Tom, unless you want some more of this because I have some. Now, the mayor's chief of staff tells the newspaper that that Clark had crossed the line with his Facebook post. This is what the guy says. To dismiss and minimize the actions the mayor took to protect the lives of a woman and a child is unconscionable. And a sad and true reflection on the sheriff himself. David Clark can find no new lows, no new depths to sink to. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, your reaction to this. Did the sheriff go too far in this particular Facebook post, not just criticizing Tom Barrett based on the city's response to crime, but again saying, hey, this is what happened. Look what happens when Tom Barrett arrived at a crime scene. He got himself beaten up. Who would you rather have at a crime scene, me or Barrett? Did the sheriff cross the line? Or was this a fair response to the attacks on him allegedly being an absentee sheriff not involved in fighting crime in this community. Did the sheriff go too far, or did the mayor get the verbal, written tongue lashing that he deserved? What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 914, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The war of words between Sheriff Clark and Mayor Barrett escalates. Uh, Barrett calling Clark an absentee sheriff. Clark saying, uh, I think correctly to an extent, hey, you know, who is Tom Barrett to be lecturing me on, on crime control? But then the sheriff takes it this next step and essentially, I, I do think, mocks him, 
over the incident in 2009 when Tom Barrett tries to intercede into this dispute and a guy beats him very, very severely. Clark uses the county Facebook to say the last time Tom Barrett showed up at a crime scene, he got his ass kicked by a drunk, tire-iron-wielding man who beat him with an inch of his life. The milquetoast mayor trying to play cop foolishly thought he could simply talk to the man who beat him senseless into backing down. Bet he won't try that again. If you had to call for help, who would you rather see show up, me or Tim and Tom? Time to crawl back into your hole, Tom, unless you want some more of this, because I have some. Let's start with Adam in Fond du Lac. Adam, good morning. Morning. Um, I generally like Clark, but I disagree with him here. I think it was a stupid thing to say because when you attack something that is universally agreed upon as a good thing, which Barrett did, you lose uh, credibility and the ability to claim objectivity when you're making your case against the thing that you don't like. Right. It just comes off as a personal attack. Well, right. I mean, see, and, and I, again, I, I think it's of all the different issues to go after Clark on, Tom Barrett talking about crime is is he's not on the firmest footing. But I say I I agree with you. I mean I think I think what Tom Barrett did back in two thousand nine was was heroic, and I mean that sincerely. And I like to think, and I think most of us do think that you know regardless of the outcome, you'd like to see somebody step up and try to play the good Samaritan and get and intervene. And I mean it had unfortunate consequences, but. That doesn't make me think less of Barrett. Actually, it makes me think more of Barrett. It shows I think he's a decent guy who was trying to do the right thing. Right, and, and if you can't say that, then, again, you lose credibility when you're, talk, when you're attacking the policies that should be attacked. Uh, then, you know, you, you lose a little bit of clout in that regard. You right. come across as just a guy that is attacking. So you're a fan of Clark's, but you think this went too far. Got it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bob in New Berlin. Bob, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I think Tom Barrett's right. First of all, what did David Clark have business in going to Russia? And he traveled all around the country giving mm-hmm. speeches yep. for Donald Trump. Four people died in a Milwaukee County jail. He won't answer for it. And I know somebody who works at the Justice Department who's in law enforcement and basically in charge of the local law enforcement around the state, and there is very little respect in the law community for David Clark. Mm -hmm. And every time David Clark opens his mouth, he pretty much puts his foot in it. He's an embarrassment to the state of Wisconsin. Well, I mean, let me let me just address some of that. Um, first of all, I, I don't have a problem with the sheriff campaigning for Donald Trump. Um, Tom Barrett, for example, you know, campaigned over has campaigned over the years for various Democratic presidential candidates. Um, it got more attention because it's Clark because of some of the things he was saying and some of the profile. But you know, politicians get out on the campaign trail and campaign when when they're asked. So. That's just kind of the nature of of the of the beast. That's sort of how it operates. As to the deaths in the jail, those are still under investigation, and I, I don't. I am not in a position right now to say that I think it's fair to, to say okay, this means like the jail was necessarily mismanaged. I will I will wait that out. Now, having said all that, I, I do think that there's still limits on the degree of rhetoric that you should use, and. I, I got to admit, this is one where I'm thinking of all the things that you could say to respond to Tom Barrett, essentially saying, hey, last time he showed up and tried to get involved in the crime scene, he got his ass kicked, ha, 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 and, you know, he better not, you know, continue taking me on because I'll give him more of the same. 
Uh, let's see. Our text line has exploded. Uh, Richard in Greenfield writes, Clark should ride out of town. He doesn't know right from wrong. The city, that would be the county, deserves better. Uh, Neil writes, Clark lowered himself to the same standards. Not a smart idea. Ron says, I was a Clark supporter, but recently he's been saying things that I just don't agree with. And he was wrong when he basically threatened Barrett by saying he could give him some more of that. Again, I don't know exactly what that meant, whether it was you keep criticizing me and this is what you're going to get verbally. Don't don't exactly know. Um, Lori writes, I don't support Barrett, but I remember that incident and thinking how proud I was to have a mayor who would stand up to things, you know, like that. Um, another thing, last line of Clark's thing, a threat. I I agree with a lot of the things that Sheriff Clark says. At the same time, I, I do think that doesn't mean that anything goes. And I understand that politics is not beanbag. I understand that there's a lot of rhetorical stuff that is kind of thrown around. But as somebody who, you know, by the way, is, you know, has has defended and supported David Clark over the years, especially, you know, when he's right on things, I admit, when I saw this story coming out on late Friday, it was like, really? Uh, this this is what you're going to base the attack on? Because I think there's a lot of people of goodwill who look at this and say, well, really? I mean, I understand that there's going to be some people who just say, well, you know, anything goes. I, here, I have a text here. Uh, Barrett is an idiot. He, uh, there's two things he should remember. Engage brain before operating mouth, and it's better to appear stupid than confirming it by opening your big mouth. Sheriff Clark all the way. Dump Barrett. Well, I actually, when I was reading that text, I was thinking, you know, maybe you could direct that stuff to David Clark with regard to this particular response that he ended up, you know, giving. Um, let's see another text. The sheriff that I've always stood behind just disgusted me. Um he sounds like a street thug that was retaliating to a person who had a valid point. Uh, Mitch and Sturgeon Bay says, this is a guy once considered for the head of Homeland Security. He shows no restraint. His celebrity has gone to his head. I think, again, regardless of whether you're a fan of David Clark or not, just like I think it is fair to criticize the president for some 530 tweets that really don't appear to be thought out very well, and end up distracting from an otherwise positive message or deflecting from, you know, certain policy that might be good. I think, I think that there's a line that you don't cross. And candidly, this was, this was just one. I think Tom Barrett deserves credit for what he did in 2009. If you want to criticize Tom Barrett and his response to crime in the city of Milwaukee, that is fair game. I do it on a regular basis, but to try to bring in the 2009 situation where the mayor did what I think a lot of us would like to think we would have done under similar circumstance, um, I, I think that is perhaps a bridge too far. It's 924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Congress has moved a step closer to allowing veterans who suffer from mental illness the opportunity to buy guns. Do you think that's a good idea? Weigh in with Scafidi and Bill Stepp. They'll be talking about that at 135 this afternoon. Um, to that point, check out our website. If you go to the mobile app section at 620WTMJ.com, you will see our podcast page. And you can download podcasts of all the shows. Mine's up there. And I know a lot of people are doing that. Scafidi and Bill Stepp and Sports Central. 
Check it all out. Um, again, WTMJ.com. Plus, you'll be able to hear podcasts from some voices you don't always hear on the radio. So it's very, very good. Um, FBI Director James Comey is going to be testifying before Congress today. This will probably be the most vigorous under oath denial yet of President Trump's claim that he was subject to some sort of domestic wiretapping, something, again, that was contained in one of those 5.35 a.m. tweets that has kind of served as a distraction over the course of the last couple weeks. But um, we'll continue to monitor that. But my guess is that the FBI director is going to say under oath what he said um, previously when not under oath, namely that, you know, there was none of this going on. All right. As long as we're talking about local stories in Milwaukee County, the, the Milwaukee County Pension Fund has been a train wreck since at least 2000 when you had the, the pension scandal. And if you're new to the area, if, if you moved here over the course of the last 15 years, what happened was the then county executive, with, together with the majority of the county board, some of his cronies, um, what they did was they they came up with a plan that some financial people had come up with as well. It was supposed to be revenue neutral, which ended up essentially allowing certain county employees, particularly well-paid and long-serving ones, to retire. And when they retire, they could collect a payout. And in some cases, those payouts have been over a million dollars, a cash payout, and still qualify for a relatively large pension, $70,000, $80,000 a year. It was resulted in pension scandal. It cost the then county executive, the late Tom Amant, his job. The county pension program, and Milwaukee County is one of the few public entities in the state that runs its own pension program. Most state, most government employees are under like the state pension plan. The county, just like everything else Milwaukee County touches, it it's pretty much a disaster. And over the last 15 years, it appears that there have been about $2.2 million in, in pension errors, overpayments, underpayments to people collecting their, their pensions. And nobody's known about it. The IRS found out about it in 2014. There's a report. Apparently, people that had knowledge of the report kept it from the county executive, so he didn't find out till earlier this year. The woman that runs the pension fund has been fired, and there is a move afoot, a move that I support, which would – and take the county pension and system and just roll it into you know the state pension system. And there's some Milwaukee County supervisors, including some who supported the original uh, pension scandal in the first place, who still are trying to resist it. But here's the problem the county faces. Right now, there's been about $2.2 million in overpayments, people collecting the pensions who have gotten more money than they are otherwise entitled to. The issue is, now that you know that there have been mistakes, what should happen to the people who have been the beneficiaries of these mistakes? Should they be allowed to keep the dough, or should they have to pay the money back? We'll talk about it in just a couple minutes. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the one thing I think we can all agree is that the Clown Car Act is Milwaukee County has trouble running just about anything, and 
Exhibit A is what they do with, with the pension system, which has just been a, a mess. And there's reasons why. Apparently, it's this convoluted mess where there's all these different pension plans, and nobody seems to know who's under what pension plan. But there's a number of county retirees who have been receiving their monthly checks, and those monthly checks are in error. Um, maybe they're getting paid too little, but in more cases, they're getting paid too much. Well, now it's starting to, they're, they're starting to kind of unravel this, and they find, okay, some of these pensioners have been getting too much. Um, it does not appear that the, the pensioners actually knew that they were getting too much. They're just, they're, they sign up for their pension, they're told this is how much it is, and then they start getting their checks. Now the question is, what happens, now that you've found the mistake, what happens to the overpayments? Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reported this. Milwaukee County officials decide if pension overpayment should stand. A key Milwaukee County board member thinks he and his colleagues will lean towards forgiving at least some pension overpayments to people retired from county service. Um, One of the supervisors, Jim Luigi Schmidt, says, it was our mistake. Are we asking an 80-year-old who relies on the money to pay it back? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, if you go to an ATM machine and you decide you're going to take out 100 bucks, and the ATM spits out 1000 and you pocket that 1000 I guarantee you as soon as the bank finds out about it, they're taking that $900 back from you. They're going to go into your account. They're going to do whatever. They're not just going to say, hey, it's the ATM that made the mistake. You get to keep the money. Now, this is admittedly, I think probably in most cases, going to be different because when you take that money out of the ATM and you put in 100 and it gives you 1000 you know that there's a mistake has been there's a mistake that has been made. So it's not fair necessarily that you get to pocket the money. In this case, with the pension payments, you have the pensioners who don't necessarily know that there has been a mistake. They're just getting the checks, and they don't know whether they're entitled to $2,200 a month or uh, $2,000 a month. All right, how should the county handle this? Should they go after and try to collect the money that has been improperly paid to pensioners, or do you just write it off? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you collect it? Well, you would send a letter saying, you have been overpaid X amount of dollars per month for X amount period of time. This is how much you owe. You know, you can either send us a check, or what we will do is we will reduce your pension payments by X amount of dollars a month in order to make it whole. Do you forgive this and forget about it? Or do you go after it? 414-799-1620. Jim and Roth, um, Rochelle. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Jim Luigi Schmidt's my supervisor. Okay. I just left him a message, in fact. And I, I asked the question. I haven't received the response, of course, because I just left the, uh, the message. But I, I said, what if this was uh, General Electric or Associated Bank or one of the other private industries around here that had overpaid their retirees? Do we not think that they would go back and try to get the money back? Of, of course, why they would. is it why is it different <laughs> when it's taxpayer funds? Of, of well, now he would say, well, it was our mistake, so it's not fair to try to collect the money from the uh, from the retirees. Well, I, mean, I gave him an alternative: you pay it back. <laughs> so you, you feel a mistake, right? So, so you feel strongly that the people who Very who got the money strange. wrongfully, yeah. Well, I, th- I would not. I would not. 
you know, when you make the example of the 80-year-old that's being overpaid and so forth and so on, I certainly wouldn't go after all the money at once. Right. I would make it very gentle. You know, right. uh, I don't know, maybe $25 a check or something. I'm just making that up, of course. I wouldn't go after it all at once. But right. there's no reason not to go after it. Right. And we set a very bad precedent by not going after it. Yeah, yeah Jim, thanks. I, see, I, I agree with you. I mean, I told this story uh, a week or so ago. Um, last year, I got certain payments, actually, from my from my late wife's law firm. And I, I got this note saying, okay, there there there, there was an overpayment. You got, and it wasn't that much. It's a relatively small amount of money. You got this much more money that that you shouldn't have gotten. The way we did this calculation, it, it wasn't a huge amount of money. And you know, we'll give you the final numbers, and you can either send us a check, and it's a small amount of money, or if you want, you know, we can you you can pay it off, you know, in in twelve installments, no interest, you know, over over a year. And it, again, it's I think I'm talking sixteen hundred dollars. It's not a life changing amount, but but they caught it. And, you know, they're, they're looking to recover the money. And while it was an annoying letter to get on a number of reasons, for a number of reasons, I mean, I guess it's it's not unfair, assuming that this calculation was right. If I got some money that I'm not otherwise entitled to, I don't expect to be able to keep it. And, that, again, as long as you devise a user-friendly way to pay it back as much possible, as possible, I, I think maybe you should be entitled to do that. Paul in the Miller Valley. Paul, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Hey, I, got, I got two comments on this. Or one one's a, kind of a question. I'm, I'm part of the state retirement fund. Yes. My, my first comment is, like, when you go uh, in, in the state retirement fund and you're ready to retire, which I am, and you go and you get this draft and you get all the paperwork, then you go sit down with a counselor and they point out the four plans and they say, you, you have A, B, C, or right. D choices. What do you want? Well, when you sit down with this counselor and you're part of the plan, you agree to the plan. They tell you how much it's going to be all based on this, and there's a little fudge factor in there. And sure. when you get your check, you know. Well, now if all of a sudden my check started coming up with you know, uh, uh, you know, two two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars above that amount, that's on me. But if they tell me my pension is going to be twenty five hundred dollars a month, but I was only entitled to twenty one hundred dollars right. a month, that's on them. Uh, I think the way to, set, to solve that problem with the county pension people would be to say, okay, we recalculated. This is what you're supposed to get. We're going to forgive what we gave you before because that's on us, but this is what you're going to get from here on out because this is the right calculation as long as they can show and prove it. The next concern well, I let me, have... Let me stop you there because let's talk about that. Um, so that money has to come, obviously, though, Paul, from, from somewhere. So let's say right. let's say you're, you're in your example, you've been you've been overpaid... Ten thousand dollars over, you know, over two years, just for the sake right. sake of argument, for the county pe- for the pension fund to write that off, that means somebody else is going to have to lose out because you've been overpaid. Are you okay with that? I, 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 like I said before, if the pensioner, you know, was pulled out from the right. get go and has the paperwork to show, right. that's what I'm supposed to get. They shouldn't be hold, held responsible for it. For the payment that has been overpaid, they have to correct the overpayment. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah, moving forward, yeah, I think we all agree with that. Yeah, and and and, and the people in the county who have been responsible for this blunder since its onset yep. are the ones that have to pay a price. And if they have to charge them criminally for misconduct in public office or whatever else, let them charge and go that route. But the yeah. people that received it should be should get to keep the money. Okay. Well, and I don't. And by the way, I don't think there's criminal stuff. I just think there's incompetence. <laughs> to tell you the honest to God truth, I just think they're incompetent. That leads into my next question. When you talk about 
um, Milwaukee County should give up being in the pension fund and now roll it all over into the state. As a state pension fund recipient, <laughs> I don't want them there. Because yeah. it is so screwed up. I don't want my pension in my future because the state pension fund is one of the best in the nation and it's managed one of the best. I'd have no problem with them saying, okay, all new hirees from this point forward, you will be in a state pension fund. Right. But as you a know, state have, pensioner, you want no part to do with whatever whatever hell has been going on in the Milwaukee why, County system. Why yep. should the people that have been in a good, solid fund, because who knows what else is going to come up? Well, that's, no, Paul, that's, that's, that is the other thing, because it seems like every day when it comes to the Clown Car Act that is Milwaukee County government, you get another one of these surprises. And I'm, see, I, I am... On, on just on, there's just a little part of me, for example, that was a little bit sympathetic to the the pension director who got fired um, after it turns out that she was notified like three years ago that there was this woman who was getting overpaid and and they didn't fix it and now the overpayments are like one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year, a hundred forty thousand dollar total. They they let it go on and on and that was Abley's basis for essentially forcing the woman out. Her defense was. Well, okay, I missed this one. We didn't get this one. We we didn't catch this. But you got to understand, there's think about that that dike. There are like a hundred holes in the dike, and I'm running around. I'm sticking my finger in each one of them, and I've only got ten fingers. And yes, I missed this one, but it's because I, I solved eighty five or ninety other problems. Now that doesn't justify making the mistake and allowing it to continue, but it is. You you can get an idea of how screwed up this system is. Mike in Kenosha. Mike, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? When I I retired, they gave me a statement and told me how much I was going to make. I'm sure the county does the same thing. What if the statement is wrong, though? What if if they told you you're going to get $2,000 a month and you were only entitled to seventeen hundred and fifty, just again for the sake of argument. So they keep giving you the two thousand, and then three years later they come back and they say, "Hey, Mike, you know that number, that form we gave you in the beginning that said you were getting two thousand, that was wrong, and you've been overpaid two fifty every month since then." Well, I guess the uh, right way to do it is over the same amount of time you take back two fifty out of their pension. So you you, th- you you think that if you were le- if there's been a legitimate overpayment to you through no fault of your own, you still have to pay it back. Well, I'm sure the government would do the same thing to me. Well, per- we take it all at once. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Well, that, 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 well, you know, you um, the, the, you know, I'm, if the IRS, if if the IRS were to, I I'll, I've told this story before few years back, several years back, I, I get this notice from the IRS together with a, a check for like $10,000. I, I wasn't due a tax return. I went re- tax refund. And, and the note said, you have made a mistake and you have overpaid on your taxes. Here's $10,000 back and nine grand or whatever it was. Now, I knew, I, I knew that I did not make that kind of mistake. So, I mean, I spent hours trying to figure out. And then I saw where the IRS had, had made its mistake in, in its calculation. Now, there is no question in my mind. That despite the, had had they had I kept that check, um, there is no question in my and I ended up getting audited. It's the only time they audited me. I send them a letter saying, "No, this is a mistake. Here, you know, you you really this this is the number I sent in was right. Take your money back." They audited me 
took took eight months for them to finally say, oh, our audit's complete, and yes, this is the right amount of taxes, and, and you know, you weren't entitled to the money. I got audited for that. But regardless, there's no doubt in my mind that if I had kept that money, if I had kept that nine grand, two years later, the IRS finds out that, you know, they, they'd overpaid, that, they you know, they'd sent me this money back in error, there's no question in my mind that, that they would be taking it, maybe all at once out of my bank account if there was money there or, or whatever. So, I, I look, I do think the county has an obligation to try to recover overpayments from the retirees. I think they have an obligation to try to do it in the fairest way possible, that is, you know, setting up payment plans or, you know, reductions. And maybe there will be that occasional isolated situation where, because of circumstances, you know, and forgiveness forgiveness is possible in, in an isolated situation. But as a general rule, you've got to go after the money. You just do. It's 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 951, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, our dealer's choice topic of the day. Ready or not, she's back. Hillary Clinton says she's ready to come out of the woods and make make a comeback. The question is, are the rest of us ready for that? We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. Also, during the 10 o'clock hour, there is a, um, a, a huge story brewing out of, of Phoenix where a, a an artist, quote-unquote artist, has put up an anti-Trump billboard, an anti-Donald Trump billboard that features uh, – swastikas resembling dollar signs and mushroom clouds and the like. Um, She's posted it, and surprise follows surprise. She's not getting universally positive um, feedback. We will be talking about that in the 10 o'clock hour as well. But it's one of the features we have on our new Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to see in advance that billboard that we're going to be talking about, you can text the word billboard. 2414-799-1620, and we will send you, you know, a link to the story and the photograph. So we're going to be talking about that in the 10 o'clock hour as well, but that is one of the very cool things that um, we can end up doing with regard to that. Uh, huge, huge controversy brewing once again with regard to the whole idea of trying to, uh, of it's really the question of can Trump do anything Right. And, and some people would say, no, no, he can't. This, this is the classic example of that. The, there have always been, in, in the government, there have always been liaison officers with the White House who, you know, get posted in jobs. They're, they're calling them, they call them senior White House advisors, and they get put into different agencies. Um, and what they really are is they're there to provide a link between the agency and the White House. So there's a breathtaking post in the Washington Post over the weekend. White House installs political aides at cabinet agencies to be Trump's eyes and ears. The political appointee charged with keeping watch over the EPA administrator and his aides has offered unsolicited advice so often that after just four weeks on the job, he has been shut out of many staff meetings, according to senior administration officials at the Pentagon. They're privately calling the former Marine officer and fighter pilot who's supposed to keep his eye on the defense secretary, the commissar. 
it goes on and on and on. And the argument is, gee, you have some of these appointees who don't like the fact that, you know, the Trump White House has White House aides or people who are advisors to the president who are appointed to the particular jobs who are, again, telling the White House what's going on in the agency. Now, you can make an argument as to whether or not this is a good idea or not, but the fact that the Trump administration does it is no different than the Obama administration or the Bush administration or the Clinton administration. I mean, that has always been the case. But when Trump does it, it appears to be an issue. In the category of I told you so, Tuesday night, Rachel Maddow, who is the very, very left-wing host on MSNBC, um, she sent out this tweet. It was this highly touted thing. I've got Donald Trump's tax returns. All right, tune in at, you know, 8 o'clock Central Time. And, of course, if you tuned in at 8 o'clock Central Time, you had to sit through 20 to 25 minutes of this incredible left-wing drivel down the rabbit hole, why Donald Trump should release his tax returns. And by the way, I think he should. But but it's then we'll know whether or not he's had these deals with his Russian oligarch. Or I mean, it was just it was this bizarre stuff that went on and on and on and on and on and on. And then finally, after 20 to 25 minutes, they come back and the big reveal is, you know, two-page 2005 tax return that shows he made $150 million and paid somewhere north of $35 million. In other words, a big nothing burger. Tuesday, though, her ratings were huge. Highest ratings she has ever had because people, including myself, we got suckered in. You know, you, you tune in, you want to hear this. But by make, first of all, this is what happens when you overhype a story. You know, you get expectations up. And then, you know, you end up disappointing people. Secondly, when you bury the lead like this, you it's number one, it's going to be an overhyped story. And number two, what happens is you make people wait for 25 minutes for the nothing burger of a story. They get mad. I mean, they and look, that that's kind of how I felt. I mean, it's like, OK, I've, I've just spent 20 minutes of my life that I'm never going to get back again watching this drivel. And it would have been one thing if, you know, there was something to back up the hype. But afterwards, you go, God, this is terrible. Well, okay, here's what happened. Big numbers on Tuesday. She guppied a lot of people in. Um, The numbers just plunged. Um, People took it out. The episode on Wednesday, uh, major ratings drop off. The episode was down 36% in total viewers, down 9% in total viewers from the previous Wednesday. So in other words... Even accounting, you know, apples to apples, she had almost 10% fewer viewers the day following this than she did the previous Wednesday. And, I mean, the audience decline was even sharper when it came to adults 25 to 54. An adult 25 to 54, the episode was down 16% from the prior Wednesday, 54% from Tuesday. So this is what happens. You overhype a nothing burger story. And then people get, number one, disappointed, but number two, they get angry. And that's what happened with Rachel Maddow. She had the one-day big ratings thing, and then the fact that there was no there there came back to haunt her. Can't say I'm sorry, 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In just a couple minutes, she's back. Hillary Clinton says she's ready to make a return. And if you text us the word billboard, 414-799-1620, we will send you a link to the story involving the controversial anti-Trump billboard that we're going to be talking about in a bit. 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 1009, 620 WTMJ. So, Jane, have you been following the, the, the latest controversy that's involving the game of Monopoly? You, you, okay, now this is for, for, for people who do not know. All right, now, for every 
couple years, Monopoly reassesses and tries to become current. And so one of the ways they do that is by the game tokens that you mm-hmm. play. So, now, now, Jane, when you sit down to play Monopoly, is there is there a game token that you always want to be? It's got to be the shoe, Jeff. You want to be the shoe? No. Huh. Yep. Huh. I would go with the boot. I want to be, you want to be the boot? I want to be the car. That's fine. I, I've always, that's, <laughs> that, 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 and, and, and Hondo, Hondo wants to be the, um, Hondo wants to be the battleship. I have some bad news for you then. You're aware of this? I am. The I'm boot very, got I, the boot. I know. The boot got the boot. I will never monopoly again. The boot got the boot, as did the wheelbarrow and the thimble. They are history. They are gone. The Scotty dog, the top hat. I like the top hat too. Yeah, me too. The roadster, okay, the cat, and the battleship, they all survive. So, Hondo, you and I can continue to play, but, Jane, the boot got the boot, as did the wheelbarrow and the thimble. They are replaced by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, a rubber ducky, and a penguin. So the boot, the wheelbarrow, the thimble, history, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, a rubber ducky, and a penguin. I could lean penguin. Oh, I could see you doing the Scotty dog, too. Yeah. Yeah, but, but... but I guess what I'm what I'm, really, I'm what I'm wrestling with is again this is this effort to try to like stay relevant and hip and current. So I'm I'm trying to wonder why like a, a penguin, a rubber ducky, and a tyrannosaurus rex is necessarily any better than the the shoe, the wheelbarrow, and the thimble. You know, what I mean, but it's that. Well, today's nobody's going to re- recognize a thimble among millennials. True. I would be very surprised. True. Um, the boot, I don't under exactly understand. People still use wheelbarrows. I have friends who are gardeners. <laughs> But I, uh, some of the other ones that were up I, were like a cell phone. Didn't they consider a cell phone, which did not get enough votes? Right. I would have thought that that would have would have been popular. And also bunny slippers, which I also thought would have been pretty popular. The T-Rex was the second most popular option among the voters, followed by the top hat and the racing car that had been around since the wow. 1930s. So, well, people are into dinosaurs. Yes. Oh, very much so. So, people, so I, can, I can kind of see that. Yeah. But, but the top hat survives too, which is interesting because that's not something you ever see anymore. Yeah, the top hat actually, um, like I said, the, the most popular vote game in the voting was the Scotty Dog, and then the dinosaur, and then the top hat, and then the racing car. So the top hat got more votes than the racing car did. Um, the rubber ducky and penguin were the final inductees, joining the cat and the battleship. So, see, now this is news that you need to know. All right? Important stuff, Jeff. Important stuff. Jane Matinair going to be all upset because the boot got the boot. I don't remember the last time I actually played a full game of Monopoly, but it's, I just never had the patience. All right, this is the segment of the program we call Dealer's Choice. It is not necessarily the biggest topic of the day, but I find it to be incredibly talkable. She's back. After taking a relatively, I think, a pretty pretty low profile following her loss for the presidency in November, Hillary Clinton is back. On Friday night, she gave a, a speech um, following a, a St. Patrick's Day celebration. Actually, it's an event called the Society, put on by the Society of Irish Women. It was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And Hillary Clinton gave, gave this presentation. Um, at the end of the presentation, she said that she was ready to come out of the woods. Uh, she said, I'm, a li- I'm like a lot of my friends right now. I have a hard time watching the news, I'll confess. I am ready to come out of the woods and help to shine a light on what is already happening around kitchen tables and at dinners like this. And the phrase, come out of the woods, shine a light, is, is being readily interpreted as that she's, she's ready to make a comeback onto the political 
seen. Oh, by the way, just as an aside, James Comey testifying before Congress says the Justice Department has no information supporting President Trump's wiretap claims. Um, no surprise. No surprise there. So in any event, Hillary Clinton says she's ready. She's ready to come out of the woods. She's been watching what's going on. She doesn't like it. So now she's ready to come back and help shine a light on what is already happening around kitchen tables and at dinners like this. I do not that interpret that to mean that she is planning to run for public office again. But I do interpret that as her saying, okay, I'm going to now start making public appearances. I'm going to get ready to get back on the lecture circuit. I'm going to be out there criticizing Donald Trump, the guy who beat me, whenever I think it is appropriate. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I would like to discuss with you. Hillary Clinton appears ready to to make a, a comeback and to thrust herself once again on the national, maybe international stage, setting herself up as part of the loyal opposition. All right. Do you want to see more of Hillary or Is she best just keeping herself in the woods and letting other people, the next generation of leaders, do that? Do you want to see Hillary back out fighting the fight as the loyal opposition, or have you seen enough of her for a lifetime? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1015. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten seventeen, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Congress has moved a step closer to allowing veterans who suffer from mental illness the opportunity to buy guns. Is that a good idea? Weigh in with Scafidi and Billstat, 135 this afternoon. All right, Hillary Clinton gives a, a speech on St. Patrick's Day to the Society of Irish Women in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, at the conclusion of her remarks, she says, I like, I'm like a lot of my friends right now. I have a hard time watching the news. I'll confess I am ready to come out of the woods and help shine some light on what is already happening around kitchen tables at dinners like this. That is widely interpreted as her saying, okay, I've been, I've been kind of laying low since the November election. I'm ready to make a comeback. I don't interpret that to be I'm going to run for elected office. I do interpret it to be. I'm ready to come back on the speaking circuit. I am ready to start denouncing Donald Trump. I am ready to be part of the loyal opposition. All right. Do you want more Hillary? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. Um, text Line exploding. No surprise on that one. Um, Rocky. Jeff, I've had enough of Hillary to last a lifetime. She needs to go away. Stephen Greenfield. I've seen and heard enough of Hillary for a lifetime Retire. 414-799-1620. That's Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Of all the different things that, that we need in this world, you know, better tasting vanilla ice cream that doesn't have as many calories. I don't know. Exercise that helps you lose weight without having to work as hard. A better Milwaukee Brewers baseball team. The Bucks in the playoffs. Of all the different things that we need in this world, if I had to make my list of the top 1,000, more Hillary Clinton would be list on about a hundred one thousand and and five. I I appreciate that she has a right to go out in public and she has a right to speak and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to hear what she has to say and will probably pay. But you know what? There is a time I think for people to step off the political stage. Hillary Clinton had her moment in the sun. And her moment in the sun, frankly, lasted a couple decades. Um, 
every time Hillary Clinton goes out and speaks about Donald Trump, for example, I, I think she actually, and I know the Democratic Party doesn't want to take advice from me, but I think she actually hurts the Democratic Party because she is yesterday's news. There, there are future Democratic leaders who are going, and I don't know who they are, but who are going to emerge, and they're going to be, you know, carrying the banner in the next series of congressional and senatorial elections. Somebody's going to be running for president, you know, four years from now, and that's all going to be well and good. Every time Hillary Clinton shows up and gives a speech or starts critiquing or analyzing the actions of the guy that she lost to, I think it reminds everybody that, you know, yesterday is over. So Hillary Clinton may be willing to come out of the woods, but at the same time, I'm not sure that necessarily means that it's in anybody's interest to flock to her when she chooses to do so. Hillary's ready to come out of the woods, but uh, no. Greg from Racine writes, there's a reason Bigfoot stays in the woods. Hillary should do the same before she embarrasses herself any further. And I guess it's not a question of embarrassing herself. It's just like people make choices. And you lost that particular election. I don't know that anybody wants you to hear you critiquing what's going on by the person that you ended up losing to. I think she'd be better served by putting her times and talents, her time and talents towards Various charitable endeavors try to do something good for the world. Ron writes, Hillary is the only candidate who could lose to Trump. Please, please, please go away. It's 1021. Coming up next, a controversial controversial billboard goes up in Phoenix. And the people that put it up are surprised at the reaction. We will discuss, if you want to see the story and the billboard, simply text the word billboard to us at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620 and we will send you a link to the story. We talk about it next. It's 1022 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1024 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Every time the Cubs are in town, Miller Park seemingly becomes Wrigley Field North. Would you pay your way into the club to keep Cubs? Would you pay your way into a club to keep Cubs fans out? That idea could soon become a reality. Greg Matzik has the story, 735 tonight on Sports Central. Okay, so this is really cool. Hondo is producing the show today and always, you don't you don't have to do anything. This is not you doing this. This We've already programmed this thing. Huh. I, I love this new feature on our Acunet Mortgage talk and text line where you can participate in the program, not just by calling, but also by texting. But apparently they just program th- this in. I asked them to do it, and you text us the word billboard, to 414-799-1620, and it just automatically sends this story to people. Very cool, and I'm just I'm watching all these people that are doing this. It's a great way to participate and hang on. Isn't technology great? Wow. Got this old dog, Greg, kicking and screaming into the 21st century, but it's very cool. All right, so if you want to see this story and you want to see the billboard, you can text us, billboard, to 414-799-1620, and we will, we will send you the link to it. Okay, here's what happens. There is... There's a, a downtown art gallery in Phoenix, and they commission this very, very provocative, very, very left-wing activist artist to produce this giant billboard. Um, the billboard goes up in downtown Phoenix on Friday. Now, here's, here's what it says. On one side, and this is, this is a billboard. We're not talking about a poster. On one side is a depiction of, of Donald Trump scowling, his face staring down. 
The red background is mingled with mushroom cloud explosions, you know, a bomb stuff, and dollar signs in typography imitating Nazi swastikas. These are the big things. So it's dollar signs, but it's made to it's it it kind of looks like a swastika with like this line drawn through it. So you can interpret it as a dollar sign. You can also interpret it as a swastika. You can interpret it most likely as both. So mushroom scowling Donald Trump swastika dollar signs. On the other side of the billboard, it says Unity, um, accompanied by five hands spelling out the word in sign language. All right, so this this goes up, and um, it becomes controversial. She says the artist, the, the woman who put this up, who you know currently doesn't live in Arizona, she's saying, well, I I, I began receiving all sorts of of, of threats. Um, I've been called a communist, a Satan worshipper. I've been told I'm a very, very sick person. I'm not sure what that means. I haven't been answering my phone. My husband uh, has because he's not afraid to talk to anyone. He said he's received a couple of death threats this morning. He said they're coming to get us with their their boys. Now, the owner of the art gallery who commissioned this says that, you know, she's been getting a lot of heat as well. With this this controversy, this is not the first time she's done something like that. She did kind of a hate piece on on George Bush a number of years ago. In recent years, she said she started leaning away from political commentary, but after Trump's inauguration, she decided to change you know her mind. It's more a form of resistance, a form of resistance. But um, again, it has been extremely controversial, and there's lots of people who are reacting to it. Now, the artist has gotten a couple of death threats, and that's beyond the pale. Under no circumstances are death threats ever appropriate. None, none, none. And people who make death threats deserve to be charged and prosecuted for it. But she's also gotten a lot of negative feedback. You know, she's a communist. She's a Satan worshiper. She's crazy, all that. She's gotten a lot of negative feedback, and she appears to be saying, why? Well, I, I just, I'm, I'm just trying to, to make a point. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The First Amendment gives you the right to put things like this up. The art gallery owner has every right in the world to commission this piece. The artist has every right to put it up there. But, and here's the important but, are the people that are responding negatively to this? And again, I let's let's put in... Let's put out the death threats. People who are making death threats or threats of violence, that is a criminal act. But that's a small percentage. What's really going on is she's getting a lot of incredibly negative feedback from people who are incensed by this. Just like she has a First Amendment right to put this billboard up and to try to provoke a reaction. Does she have a right to complain when the reaction to that is negative, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Is she some sort of victim of the, I don't know, pro-Donald Trump, you know, smear machine? Or is this something that you should expect when you put something like this up? Is it the type of reaction that, okay, you want to be provocative, that's great. Some people are going to love it, but a lot of other people are going to be appalled by this. Should she be, is she some sort of victim at the negative reaction she is getting from some? Text line, first text that comes in, I love the billboard. First Amendment at work, Heil Trump. It's 
1034. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, if you text us uh, the word billboard, 414-799-1620, we will send you a link to this, this story. But it's a billboard that went up Friday in downtown Phoenix. It's a picture of a scowling Donald Trump, a red background with mushroom clouds, swastikas made to appear like dollar signs or dollar signs made to appear like swastikas. And it's all done by this this artist who's a graduate of Arizona State. After this goes up, she gets a huge reaction to it. Some people are applauding it. Some people are loving it. Um, She also says she's getting all these hostile phone calls, including a couple death threats. Now, let me single out the death threats. Let's separate them out. Anybody calling, making death threats, that is a crime. They deserve to be prosecuted. But at the same time, lots of people are very critical of this and the owner of the art gallery that commissioned this in the first place. Nobody, at least I wouldn't, argue that she doesn't have a First Amendment right to put this up there. But what this is essentially saying is that Donald Trump, and by virtue of the fact if you are a Donald Trump supporter, essentially, you know, he, he's going to lead us into another nuclear war. You are essentially a, a Nazi. And she's getting negative blowback from that. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, All right. She has the right to her opinion. But having said that and having expressed that opinion, all right, should she be surprised that people who are Donald Trump supporters who don't necessarily consider themselves to be Nazis might be a little bit offended by this? Or if you are a Donald Trump supporter, I guess maybe the best way to look at it is, is it too touchy? Are you being too touchy and too thin-skinned to respond in a negative way to a billboard that implies that, you know, you are a warmongering, money-loving uh, Nazi. 414-799-1620 is the number. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see some of our texts while Hondo's lining up the calls. I was always taught if you poke a bee's nest, you you might get stung. Well, that's clearly she, post, she ended up um, poking a bee's nest. Uh, Eric writes, I thought the artist's entire purpose of creating art was to create thought-provoking pieces. Some are controversial, some are not. I do not agree with the death threats against this woman or her family. However, she should have expected some negative as well as some positive feedback, depending on which side people fell on. The artist should not be surprised by the fact that this thought-provoking piece has garnered negative attention to some. Another text here, I didn't vote for Trump, but the billboard goes too far. It's an insult to all Jewish people. I do agree that when you start throwing around the term Nazi and you start using images related to the Holocaust, you've got to be really, really careful. And from the perspective of, I guess, someone who you know wasn't a Trump supporter necessarily, although I, I mean, I have no issue with him being president as opposed to Hillary Clinton, that this idea that if you are a Donald Trump supporter, well, you're you're a Nazi. How dare you do this? I do find that offensive. That's not saying that she doesn't have the right to put up the billboard. She does. But other people have the right to respond under the First Amendment by criticizing her and her motives for doing it. Brad in Rockford. Brad, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, my comment to the uh, screener was she, the piece that she made, the, the, the uh, billboard, billboard was for it was a statement piece. She was making a statement. She said, I'm making a statement. Anybody in the free world would know that if you're going to make a statement, especially about this issue, there's going to be half of the people are going to say, yay, 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 this is great. And there's going to be another half of people that are going to say it's a terrible thing. I think she's getting exactly 
what she asked for. Which is the attention and people talking about the art as being provocative. Mm -hmm. And and now all of a sudden, because she's getting negative blowback, it's like, oh my God, why would they say it's bad? Well, how how many people said it was good? Yeah, well, that, that's Let's that, put a number together. Well, the, well, exactly. No, you're right, Brad. I mean, that, that's. I mean, this is provocative art. I mean, thanks. And I guess I, I'm. If you read these stories, I'm kind of and and some of the other ones besides just the one that we we send you. If if you text Billboard four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, what what you see is both her and the the people that run the art gallery seem genuinely shocked that they're getting this blowback. Well, okay, what? All right, in this in these charged political times, if you call Donald Trump, and by I think by implication. The people who support President Trump, if you say they're Nazis, you're going to get a reaction. <laughs> that's that's just the reality of this. And just like you have a right to say what you want to say, well, other people have a right to say what they want to say. And again, I'm 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 separating out, you know, the the death penalties, the the death threats, and stuff like that. Greg, um, let's see, Greg and Racine writes: First Amendment protects free speech. It does not protect you from criticism and opinions. Um, death threats incredibly wrong. Kate writes: It's her right, but the notion that Trump supporters are Nazis is ridiculous. Um, winter is over; it's time for those liberal snowflakes to melt. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks Thank for calling. Uh, I think that's a little. You know, these people are a little bit over the edge here on this Trumpster thing, and that billboard. They're not only having adults seeing it, but they may have children seeing it, and right. then their kids and their parents and saying, "Well, mommy, are we going to blow up because yeah. of Mr. Trump?" And and you know, it's really cool if people have deep thoughts or deep feelings about the president or whatever. They really don't. Yeah, this is really cool. I mean, not, it's, it's just he's the president. I didn't vote for the band, and I didn't particularly want Hillary in there either. But uh, okay, that's what we got, and and just please. Um, well, I think you you would you would think so. And again, I, I understand she's making she is making a statement um, as she has the right to do. But I, I just I just I am I am more than a little bit amused by oh my gosh I'm I'm getting you know I we can't I can't even answer the phone now because I'm getting all these hateful calls. Well, I, I'm going to tell you something, lady. You know, you call a bunch of people Nazis, and there's a lot of people who just aren't going to you know sympathize with and i understand that's the current opinion of the left that donald trump can't do anything right and anybody who supports donald trump in any way shape or form that's what they are they're they're a nazi they're evil whatever okay if you want to have that worldview that's fine but there's a lot of people maybe maybe still even that silent majority of folks that didn't show up in the polls that elected trump who even if they're don't like certain aspects of Trump's personality or don't agree necessarily with all his policies, don't consider themselves to be xenophobes, don't consider themselves to be sexists, don't consider themselves to be racists, and sure as hell don't consider themselves to be Nazis. And when you say, again, by implication that if you support Trump, that's what you are, you're going to get some blowback. That, that's, I mean, that's just the reality of this. So y- you better... In this case, I'm kind of tighten up the chin straps and get ready. Um, let's see the text line. Trump won the presidency. The woman needs to get over herself and move on with her life. He won. Another one. Freedom of speech is a great thing. We all have it. Just ask the Dixie Chicks. The consequences of their free speech when they bash George Bush. Um, they've done nothing since. Well, actually, they're making a little bit of a comeback. But yes, they're they're. If if you decide you want to weigh in and wade into the political arena, especially in this fashion. By saying that the people who support the president are, by implication, Nazis, you're going to get some blowback. So 
Be ready for it, Snowflake. And again, if you text this billboard, we'll, we'll send you the link to the story and you can see it. But I think I pretty accurately described it. It's 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The war of, words, war of words between Sheriff Clark and Mayor Barrett continues to escalate. Scafidi and Billstead have the latest chapter and get your reaction to the feud today at 1235. Yeah, we discussed that uh, during our Three Big Things segment uh, at uh, 9 o'clock, whether or not David Clark has gone too far. Okay, here, here's the story. Let me, just a little bit of background. One of the worst days in my life over the course of the last couple of years, and there have been a couple of bad days in my life over the course of the last couple of years, but one of the worst days was about a year ago. It was a Saturday afternoon in March, and my little dog, Sasha, got loose from me, and it was my fault. It, it just what I, I just it was it was my fault, but she got loose from her leash. It was a Saturday afternoon, and she has not it's my fault too. She's not been trained to come. She just takes off. And so she starts running. That's a Saturday afternoon. She starts running, and she's fast. And she never, she never got out of my sight. But she would run like a block ahead of me, and then kind of turn around and come back a little bit and and run. She was just, she was just running. But she was running across streets in the neighborhood. And I'm, you know, here, here I am, a fifty whatever year old guy. I'm kind of chasing after this little dog. I'm trying to get her to come back. She's running across streets. Thankfully, it was a Saturday afternoon, so there's not too much heavy traffic. But a couple times, I'm out in some of the streets in my neighborhood, like trying to stop traffic, um, trying to catch this dog. And after about 40 really long minutes in my life, finally, she saw somebody. A couple, there were a couple people coming the other way, and then there was another person walking a dog, and she ran up, and these other folks helped me corral her. But it was it was a long 45 minutes. I mean, just just a nightmare. So I, I, I just... <laughs> I, I went I went home and I was just a complete and, and total wreck and but because it, it was all my fault that she got loose in the first place now maybe you've been in that situation okay here's the story this happened this happened the other day at Auckland Auckland um, Friday morning New Zealand Auckland Airport big 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 airport there's a there's a dog um, ten months old. And it, it's a mutt. It's being trained to be an explosive sniffing dog. So it, it's in training. What happens is there, there's they've got the dog. It's out at the airport. It's 4.30 in the morning. Somehow the dog, which is, has, is with its handler, the dog gets something happens. It startles the dog. It gets loose from its handler right as in, in kind of the – the scheme of like worst timing for everything. The, the the van where the dog is or is getting out of or getting into is right outside one of the gates that leads to the tarmac, you know, where the, the planes land and take off. So the the gate has opened. There's apparently a delivery of truck or something that's going through. Something happens and the ten month old dog gets loose from its handler and runs onto the tarmac. You know, this big airport. So you now got a puppy that is loose on the the tarmac. Well, obviously, you can't have planes land and you can't have planes take off when you've got a dog that is running around. So what happens is they they try to, they, they bring in, you've got the dog's handlers and they bring in a couple other handlers and they try to catch the dog. But just like I had a hard time catching 
Sasha, in my neighborhood for 45 minutes, trying to catch this 10-month-old puppy that is running around the airport tarmac is very, very difficult, if, if not impossible. So they, they chase it for a, a couple hours, trying to track the dog down, corral it, catch the dog. Meanwhile, flights aren't allowed to land, and flights aren't allowed to take off. So after a couple hours, now this happened at 4.45, so now you're local time, so now you're talking, you know, going on 7.30 or 8, you've got the airport really starting to gear up. Um, the, the order comes out from the people at the airport, all right, stop fooling around, kill the dog. Just kill the dog. So they bring in, they bring in sharpshooters, and they shoot and they kill the dog that they have not been able to catch. Um, this has generated a huge response um, worldwide about the, the needless killing of the dog. Some people are saying, "Well, why didn't you bring a tranquilizer gun? The zoo is thirty minutes away. You know, get a get a tranquilizer gun, um, borrow one from the zoo, whatever." You don't shoot a dog in the circumstances. You know, the airport people say, "Well, look, we we tried to catch the dog." It wasn't working. We don't know if they had tranquilizer guns at the zoo or not, but we couldn't delay planes anymore. They couldn't catch the dog. This was the only thing we could do. We killed the dog. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am sure that there were a lot of angry passengers sitting in the terminal waiting for their morning flights to take off, um, wondering why flights weren't leaving um, especially when they hear, oh, it's a dog that's loose on, on the runway. This was a being trained, uh, again, bomb-detecting dog who had gotten loose. Did authorities do the right thing in shooting the dog to keep the airlines on schedule? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the dog have been shot? What do you think? We discuss next. It's 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The building boom continues in downtown Milwaukee. Are inner city neighborhoods seeing any similar growth? The head of the NAACP joins John McCure to discuss. That's 320 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, if you're just tuning in, Auckland, New Zealand, last Friday. They've got a 10-month-old puppy who is being trained to be a bomb-sniffing dog. Um, 4.30 in the morning, the dog is out at the airport with the handler, gets loose, runs onto the tarmac. They bring in other handlers. They try to corral the dog. They're not able to do it. Planes get delayed, like 16 incoming or outgoing flights aren't able to land or take off. After a couple hours, the folks at the airport say, stop fooling around with the dog, shoot it. The cops come in. They kill the dog. Bill in Brookfield. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, when I heard heard this story, it, it made me so angry. I could not believe my ears when you said that they killed the dog. Yep. Now, being, being a, an animal lover, I've owned dogs. I have owned cats. I know that I could have, in a couple hours, gotten that dog corralled up. I don't think these people know what the heck they're doing. And anyone who, who has had any experience around animals and loves them would be able to coax the dog within a two-hour period, you know, off the Corral the dog to bring this in. And, I mean, I don't know about the use of tranquilizers, but, I mean, I understand that that's probably difficult because maybe you have to get closer than you have if you've got a, a – and I don't know if they shot it with a handgun or they shot it with a rifle. But I'm sitting there looking at the story. And, look, and I, I understand if I were one of those – if I were one of those people sitting at the airport 
and I'm on a 6.30 flight out, and I find out that my flight is delayed because there's a drug-sniffing. And this isn't just a mutt. This is a drug-sniffing dog. It's a dog that they're training. You know, one of the dogs has gotten loose. I admit I'm not going to be happy. I get that. I'm not going to be happy. But if they tell me the option is, Jeff, your flight is going to be delayed, we're going to go out, we're going to kill this dog, because at the end of the day, it, it's just a dog and it's gotten loose, I think I might be willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll be willing to wait a little bit longer. Let's see. Debbie says, absolutely not. This is appalling. Another text we have. Whoever authorized the dog to be shot because of plane delay should think about if he got shot because he delayed flights. I could shoot a, a dog. I guess that's how I, I recognize that on the one hand, they're just animals and that at some point in time, it's not like, gee, you've got some crazy person that's running around the airport tarmac and you can't corral them. You don't shoot them. I understand when it's dealing with an animal, it's different. And, and maybe, maybe if this was a situation where it, it wasn't, it wasn't the dog, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a pet, it wasn't something, uh, you know, a dog that was being trained to be a drug sniffing dog. If this was a wild animal, I freely acknowledge that I would probably have a different take on this if a deer or something got loose. But this wasn't a deer. This this was a dog. And I guess to me, how can you not be able to corral a dog in three hours? I mean, did they bring in Moshemp and Curly to be the ones that do it, did it? In any event, um, you might see this story because it has, I hate the phrase gone viral because it's such a cliche, but it has gone viral. Um, we're not going to delay the planes. We're going to shoot the bomb-sniffing dog who ended up getting loose. Well, it is 10.59, coming up in just a couple minutes. Get ready to say goodbye to all-you-can-drink specials. Chuck Berry passes on and lots more. It's all coming up. It's 10.59, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.09, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Lacrosse. Crosse. Jane Matinair, La Crosse is a drinking town. Yes, it is. <laughs> for for years and years, you know, we had those stories about the uh, there was the, these rumors that there was a serial killer out in in Lacrosse, especially because, on the bluffs, right? Right. Well, and and by the Mississippi River because there was it used to be a lot easier access, and it was generally young men who went out, got themselves blind drunk, and then just got disoriented and ended up you know big body of rushing water, people blind drunk. Bad things can happen. Absolutely. And I know there were a number of people who, because I can remember talking to many of them, who were just absolutely convinced that there, there was a serial killer beyond Jack Daniels that was involved in this. And the FBI kept saying no and no and no. And that's, it, it's ultimately, it, it, I think that's kind of died away. And I think most people recognize that there really wasn't a serial killer, but it was, you know, huge alcohol consumption. Fueled a lot of times by, again, the young men who would come down and they, they'd just drink to excess. And one of the arguments was always, that you, um, it's not women, but but Jane, you can probably testify to this. I my point has always been when it comes to like bars and stuff, women travel in packs. And if you were as if you were, for example, with a bunch of your girlfriends, and one of them was like visibly intoxicated, the rest of you wouldn't say, "Hey, we're going back to the dorm. You you stay here, right?" I mean, that's no. You're right. gonna, you're going to look out for your you're going to look out for your peeps, right? I mean, and I think I think that's one of the whereas guys. You know, you're all out drinking, and somebody says, "Okay, it's time for me to go home." And they're like, oh, "I'm going to stay here and have one more, or whatever." Guys, you're more inclined to say, "He'll be oh, fine. It, we'll see you later." Exactly. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I, I at least always, you know, justify that, that kind of difference because I think, you know, women are, are different than men when it comes to bar habits and stuff. You wouldn't let to do it. But in any event, that's a long lead up to the story. But lacrosse has always had these issues. Um, lacrosse 
the Lacrosse City Council is now considering making it a law to ban all you can drink specials at bars. Here's the way the ordinance would work. It would prohibit any bar from selling an unlimited amount of alcohol for a fixed price. So, hey, we, we've got the Madison game on. You know, UW's playing, you know, come on in for $15. You can, you know, have all the beer you want. This would be illegal under the ordinance. In addition, you could not sell three or more drinks for the price of one. I think there's some of these places that have like triple bubble happy hour or whatever, where you come in, you know, you buy one drink and, and you get three. You would not be able to do that anymore. You also wouldn't also be able to offer contests involving alcohol. I'm not quite sure what that means. The the people in the Common Council say, okay, bar owners don't like the environment where you have these all-you-can-drink specials because it's hard competitively. Also, you have people who've been at these events, then they come into the bar, they're not servable or sober, they're breaking furniture, they're vandalizing, whatever else. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this, to me, this story is not about whether or not it is a good idea for bar owners to offer, like, these all-you-can-drink specials for a particular evening. That I think that's, you know, that's, a, I think, a very valid question. The question, though, is, should should there be a law? Because the Common Council is about ready to pass an ordinance, which is now going to say, okay, you, you can't offer three drinks for the price of one, so no more you know, triple happy hours, and no more all-you-can-drink specials, which I'm sure they run them on various evenings, but also kind of like football games. You pay $15, and during the length of the football game, it's all you can drink. All right, should this be a law? Should communities, including lacrosse, pass ordinances which limit the ability of bar owners to do this? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, maybe you have this, maybe it's a big event, and you have a bar owner that says, hey, you know, I, I can offer unlimited beer, you know, $20, all the beer you can drink, um, but I'm going to make it up because people are going to buy food or or whatever, or I want people into the bar. All right, should bar owners be stopped legally from offering all-you-can-drink specials? Do we need a law? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not sure I can honestly... I don't I don't know the last time I can remember ever being in one of these places where you know they offered like the all you can drink specials. It's certainly not something that would have an appeal to me. Typically, I'm sure this goes after the quote unquote younger crowd, but should there be a law prohibiting a bar owner from doing this? What do you think? We discuss next. It's 11:14. Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. It's 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the Cross Common Council, is in the process of considering, and it appears is going to pass, an ordinance which would prohibit bar owners from offering all-you-can-drink specials or deals where you get three drinks for the price of one as part of a happy hour or whatever. I'm not arguing that, I'm not arguing about the wisdom of, of doing this from a business perspective. What I think is more interesting is, do you need to have a law that says this and where do you draw the line on on that law? Do you limit the number of pitchers of beer that you can sell to somebody? How, where do you draw the line? Let's start with Clint in Bayview. Clint, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. 
Morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, normally, I'm for limited government, uh, and under normal circumstances, I'd be against this. But uh, I actually went to school there. It's been about 12 or 13 years, and they have always had a problem with this, and, and the binge drinking is particularly bad in that area. Um, so I, I actually would support this. Um, they just, you know, I mean, I grew up in the city here, but went to school there and it's kind of, you know, typical small town. There's not a whole lot to do, uh, other than, you know, go out and blow off some steam and have drinks. <laughs> okay. Just you so know, you know, Clint, okay. For anybody listening to us, that's Clint in Bayview, not me saying there's nothing to do but drink in lacrosse. No, no. I mean, you know, and, and the thing is, it's a beautiful area, right. you know, there's hiking and there's the bluffs. I mean, it's probably one of the most beautiful areas in the state, but for young college kids, at least when I was there, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, nightlife entertainment. And again, I'm comparing that to the city here, you know, being born and raised on the south side of Milwaukee. But, right. um, you know, the, I, I think to try to avoid the binge drinking, you know, all you can drink for one price, I would support that. I, I, I don't think they need to, you know, the council <laughs> needs to start limiting the number of pitchers and that right. sort of thing. But. So I guess my question with that, Clint, is, and I appreciate it, on college campuses, binge drinking is a, is a huge issue. I guess, at least in, in bars, you, you have controls. You have bartenders, you have bouncers, you have security people, you have you know waitresses, you have owners. I, I guess my concern is, if you pass ordinances like this, are you going to drive the, the drinking underground or just outside of premises? I mean, are, is, is this just going to lead to more house parties and stuff like that where people are going to continue to be drinking large quantities, but they won't have any sort of controls? That That is very possible. Um, but I think one of the unique issues with lacrosse was that their bars, you know, uh, are located so close right. to the river. That's why they were having all of those issues. Right. Um, you know, because there were not proper fencing or whatnot. So, yeah, it, it may move it somewhere, but you know, if it does move it somewhere, hopefully it'll be in an area where kids are uh, right. a little less susceptible to, you know, Got falling it. in the river. Okay, thanks for call. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, do, do you need a law that that, that makes that says, okay, you, you can't do any more of these all-you-can-drink specials? And again, I, I, I don't know how they, they offer these, you know, on Friday or Saturday nights or whatever. But, I mean, I, I could easily see you do it and go, hey, it's a Saturday afternoon. It's a UW football game. You know, it's you pay one price, you get in, and it's all the beer you can drink from, you know, noon until four or whatever. Mike in Burlington. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling, pal. I was under the assumption that there was already a law that states that the bartender is responsible for uh, not serving someone who appears to be intoxicated. Yep. Yes, there is. So there is already a law that. Uh, it should keep that under control. I know that, you know, somebody else can go up and get the beer for somebody else, but the bartender, even when it's crowded, he, he should be able to keep track right. of, you know, groups of people and, and, and keeping an eye on things like that. Well, and, and I guess it's not just the bartender, because my guess is, and, and that's, that's kind of the point I was making with Clint, our first caller, it's not just the bartender. If you've got people that are drinking in, in, a, in a bar or restaurant or whatever, you, you've got waitresses. In many cases, I'm sure you've got security people. You, you, it, it's a semi-control. Now, I'm not going to say completely controlled, but it's a semi-controlled environment. And if you see somebody that's really, you know, getting completely blotto, you, you can cut them off. You can call them a taxi. You can, you know, get them on the road. 
I guess I just don't know. I don't know that you need this law to do it. I don't know that I assume that everybody who shows up for one of these all-you-can-drink things is necessarily, you know, going to be crawling hands and knees drunk on their way out of the building. And but you can. I take your point. Already, there's a requirement that that people monitor that. And I just, I guess, I'm afraid if you pass an ordinance like this, there's still going to be all-you-can-drink things. It's just going to be parties, for example. Exactly. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, one law controlling it just needs to be enforceable yeah. better. Right, exactly. I mean, thank you. You make it really clear your liquor license is in jeopardy. I, I again, that's why I started this off by saying I, I don't take a position on if I were a bar owner, would I offer this? And I do think it's interesting. One of the guys on the council was saying, well, some reason, one of the reasons some other bar owners don't like this is because it's tough to compete competitively. Now, what I interpret that being is that you know some places you know can afford to do this, other people can't. Well, all right. That to me is not the business of the common council to start passing ordinances which you know benefit some businesses as opposed to others. But I also understand there's a public safety component here. Um, Mark in Fond du Lac, Mark, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, a couple things. I guess first off, I think uh, the majority of the people that do go to the all you can drink for a certain amount, probably the majority of them plan on getting their money's worth and are going to be in pretty tough shape. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, if you don't have a law statewide if it's just uh if lacrosse does this within the city limits if there's a bar yeah. uh two miles outside the city limits the kids are all going to go there Great and they're going to drive and right. they got to drive <laughs> yeah. home yeah you know that's that's yeah. a really downside yeah so your big point is if, if you're going to do this it really needs to be more on a statewide basis as opposed to a as opposed to a, a local city yeah. by city thing because to, to hold yeah. bartenders accountable is good in theory but that doesn't that's right. just not uh, that's not realistic i don't think well, no, I, I mean, I think, by the way, thanks for calling. I, I mean, I think you do make a, a very good point. I mean, where, where I went to college, um, this is back before there was a uniform 21-year-old drinking age. And the state where I went to college, it was 21 to drink hard alcohol, except um, you could get like 3-2 beer, which was just nasty, nasty stuff. You could get 3-2 beer um, if you were 18. But then within like 20 minutes, there were two other states, one that was – 19 for everything and one that was 21 for everything. So what 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 is everybody at the college that I go to? You pile into your cars and you drive 30 miles to either buy stuff to bring back or to go to some of these bars. I mean, it was just as a matter of public policy, it was it was not good. So now you have the, these uniform. The federal government came in and essentially said, if you want federal highway money, you have to have a uniform 21 year old drinking age. So all the states did it. Um, but from a safety perspective, it does, in fact, make sense. I do think that you're absolutely right that if you lacrosse passes this and there's a lot of demand, then you've got you know, some bar in the neighboring community going to say, we're offering the all-you-can-drink specials. Come on in, and then people will drive. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? Yeah, and uh, all you got to do is bring up one word, prohibition. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. It failed miserably. It created more billionaires and millionaires of government politicians and corruption than anything ever. And this is the same thing. You're you're going to find a way around the law no right. matter what they instituted. I mean, I'm going back to the day when Marty Zipko was in the old house in Beanville. <laughs> we started from Milwaukee out there and drink yeah. Big Cat malt liquor because it was 50 cents a can. I haven't thought about Marty Zipko's in years yeah. and years. Wow. People forget. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you raise it. Thanks for calling. You raise an interesting point, too. Um, all right. W- where do you draw the. Okay. So let's say you've got an ordinance that says you, you can't do an all you can drink special. 
Oh, okay, fine. What about if I want to sell beer for 25 cents? What if I want to say, okay, during the Badger game, we're going to, uh, St. Patrick's Day, we're going to have green beer and we're going to sell it for 25 cents or we're going to sell it for a dollar a pitcher. I mean, at, okay, so you say that you're not going to have the all-you-can-drink specials. Fine, I, I, I get that. But, again, unless you're going to really get the Common Council into the business of micromanaging bar pricing and drink pricing, it's to your point, Bob. It's, 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 it's prohibition, and it's not going to end up working. So, I mean, if I were one of these bar owners, and, for, and, I, and I wanted to do this, and this was, this was my key to business success, I want to get a bunch of people in there, I can't do the all-you-can-drink special, fine, here's what I'm going to do. It's going to be you know, 10-cent beer. You know, we're going to have a throwback day. It's going to be 10 cent tap beers. So you're going to effectively do the same thing as the all you can drink special. And do you really want government then coming in and saying, okay, you can't have the 10 cent tappers? No, okay, then I'll do 20 cent tappers. No, you can't do that. Do we really want government micromanaging to that extent? And this is not an endorsement of all these all you can drink beer things or whatever. It's just a reflection of the reality of this thing we call the free market. 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Martin Schreiber spent most of his life in the public eye, including being Wisconsin's governor in the late nineteen seventies. Now, however, he has a very different role as a caregiver to his wife who is suffering from Alzheimer's. Schreiber talks about his journey in the WTMJ confer- conversation section of the WTMJ mobile app. Yeah, um, and when you when you there are there six twenty wtmj dot com you just you'll see the mobile app page. This lets you download various podcasts. My show is podcast in its entirety, and I know a lot of people listen to it. So if you like the program but can't hear all three and a half hours because you've got this little thing like life that intervenes, well, you know you can you can listen, and there's a way you can download it, and you can be notified of uh, when the the new ones are posted. We do that every day, as well as with Scafidi and Billstat, and with uh, Sports Central, as well as a number of voices. And it's, it's interesting to watch where the podcasts come from because I see lots of people from all over the, not just country but all over the world, download them, and that's that is outstanding. Okay, uh, the news broke on on Friday that. Alpine Valley Music Theater in East Troy was closing for the season. Now, Alpine Valley opened, I want to say it was 77. And uh, as somebody who has lived here most of my my life, I I have many fond memories of of Alpine Valley. I can remember lots and lots of of concerts there, a lot of fun. Um, And and back, back in the day, Alpine Valley was, again, one of these, like, huge you know, giant music venues that, you know, you, you just look forward to. You would wait to see what the schedule was. And and I want to say that there were times that they had a couple shows a week back in the heyday. And, and you know, big bands, you know, places that could come in and, and could fill a venue that seats, you know, 35 or, th- or 40,000 people, you know, once you use, the, um, once you use the, the hill and all that type of stuff. Now, there were always all sorts of issues with Alpine Valley because it's relatively difficult to get to. You know, there's only, like, two-lane roads going in and out. And if you catch it at the wrong time, there are problems. You know, you can get caught in huge traffic jams. Can I see a show of hands of everybody who's done that? You know, in addition, um, 
The various owners have, in my opinion, never put a ton of money into the facility. And when, whenever I go there, and I go there on almost at least once a year, I will go down to Alpine Valley because I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan, and that's where he would play. And it seems like, um, it seems like it's pretty much the same from year to year to year. Um, that there's never been a huge influx of cash that that went into it. So it, it's candidly. The experience is not, you know, going in 2016 was not unlike the experience of going in 1977 or 1986 or 1996, um, which becomes a little more problematic when you've got a lot of the acts that you're bringing in appeal to like older Gen X or baby boomers who, yeah, okay, sitting on that hill in the rain might have been something that you do at the age of 21, but you know what? You know, when you're you're 51 or 55, it loses some of of its charm. So, the, the place has never, in my opinion, had a ton of money which which was put into that. Moreover, the competition right now, first of all, there's not that many bands or artists who are capable of filling a 35 or 40 thousand seat venue. There, there, there's just not, and. Those artists that are, are in really high demand. They do more concerts now at Wrigley Field. My guy Buffett is playing Wrigley Field this summer. Um, they do more concerts like at the stadiums or Miller Park opens up the stadiums. Or they, they play some of the smaller, and by smaller I mean twenty to 25,000 seat venues like you know Summerfest. And Summerfest is going to have a new amphitheater. So this year, for the first time ever, and so the number of shows, have gone down dramatically. Where it used to be one or two shows a week, maybe even more. At, at Alpine Valley, it's been maybe four or five shows a summer, and the reliable four uh, performers have been, you know, whatever iteration of the Grateful Dead was playing. You know, they would show up. Dave Matthews would show up. Buffett would show up, and you know, maybe maybe one or two more. But but there haven't been really that many. Zach Brown would show up from time to time, but he's playing Summerfest, um, plus you also play Chicago. So this year, what Live Nation announces, and they're the ones that own the venue, is, hey, we're, we're, we're going to be closed for the whole year because essentially we can't find any performers who want to play here. That, that's it. Buffett's at Wrigley Field. Dave Matthews is somewhere else. You know, we, we just It doesn't make any sense to open. We can't find people who want to play here. But what they say is, don't worry. Don't worry, we're going to put money into this venue, and you know we're going to be open for business next year, and it's going to be better than, than ever. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. And if, if you, like me, are a music lover, and if you, like me, like to go to shows, and my guess is, if you are of a certain age, you know, you've probably been to shows at Alpine Valley over the years. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to speculate on the future of Alpine Valley. Like I say, Live Nation says, we're going to put a lot of money into this venue. We're going to be back next year bigger and better than ever. Do you believe that? You know, will there be shows moving forward at Alpine Valley? Is there something that they can do to get all sorts of acts booked and concerts in? Or is this just something that is going to be like so many things relegated to our memories. Gee, I remember when I saw the Rolling Stones there. I remember when I saw Fleetwood Mac. I remember all the Buffett shows. Is Alpine Valley really going to be back? What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll. The Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I know I know the owners are saying 
hey, we're going to put a bunch of money into this. It's going to be back better than ever. Do you believe that? Or is Alpine Valley essentially now history? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Music lovers of the area, I'm curious as to what you think. It's 1142. It's 1145, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Don't get me wrong. I, I love going to Alpine Valley in the day. But Alpine Valley now says that uh, no shows this year. Live Nation that runs it says, oh, we're going to put a bunch of money into it, and it, it'll be back next year bigger and better than ever. What do you think? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, uh, Jeff. I think that uh, Alpine Valley has milked their current venue too long, and they're not going to be able to do anything. Taking a year off, it's not the easiest place to get to. I think they're going to end up like uh, Brown Deer Road in northwest Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Milwaukee. I mean, you know, it's, it's, whatever they do, uh, it's going to be the. North, you're saying that you think uh, you think Alpine Valley is going to be Northridge of 2018. In other words, huh? Absolutely. Whatever they do, they are not going to get it back. Well, I just, I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess. Look, I, I'm not wishing for this to fail, but I mean, here's here's the reality. If if you start with the basic premise that uh, a lot of the these, first of all, there's a limited number of, of acts. Matter of fact, here we have a. You know, uh, Joe writes on our text line, problem, as you mentioned, not enough artists, too many venues. It's a shame. I do think it will come back next year. Uh, too nostalgic to go away completely. But I mean, here, here's part of the problem. Uh, again, a lot of the, these acts, you, you look at, you look at the venues, the, the people that are, that are selling out the big stadiums. And it's, it's the, it's the Springsteens of the world. It's the, Oh, I mean, the Stones, if, if they're out. I mean, there's a limited number of groups that can fill those type of venues. And there's a lot of competition for them. And Alpine Valley, let, let's face it, a lot of the people that can pay the big money to go see that, they're, again, they're people like me. They're, they're, they're the baby boomers. And, and we want, you know, we want comfort. And Alpine Valley is not comfortable. I've been, Look, I, I, I get VIP tickets, so I get into the, that chalet and stuff. I mean, I walk through this thing every year, and I keep wondering if OSHA is going to show up. And these are the VIP tickets. And, again, I, I understand it's the concert-going experience, but the reality is it's hard to get to. It's hard to get out of. Um, it's not a comfortable venue. It's tough to find bathrooms to use. Now, I mean, am I all in favor of an upgrade? Absolutely. But the, the question is, how many millions of dollars can you put in to upgrading the venue and how can you realistically expect to get that out? Because you're still going to be competing with, again, all the smaller venues. You're going to be competing with Miller Park. You're going to be competing with all the similarly sized venues in Chicago. And, you know, you're going to have the new amphitheater at Summerfest. 414-799-1620 is the number. Judy in Lake Geneva. Judy, your neck of the woods. Good morning. Morning. I used to live right near there, and I actually still do. Used to come up as a child with my family, see John Denver, Kenny G, some really good concerts. However, when I a couple of years ago when I lost my job, I actually got a job there okay. working for Live Nation. Okay. And it was kind of sad. I, I went for my orientation, I did a couple of concerts, place was falling apart. Yeah. You couldn't I didn't feel safe walking through the parking lot because it was dark. There were yeah, the was, upkeep was horrible. Right. What I, I mean, again, I, I've just noticed, like I say, when I go to see Buffett, I've got the VIP ticket, so I go into that chalet and stuff. Um, VIP is, is in quotation marks. I'm like, I'm like, okay, th- this is the VIP area. It certainly doesn't compare to the VIP area at other venues. And I just, no, it doesn't. You wonder how much, you wonder how much money Live Nation is willing to put into this. Cause my guess is 
you could easily spend millions and millions of dollars before, and, and just and that would just deal with some of the stuff on the surface. Right. And one of the questions we asked when we were there for orientation was, who do you have coming up? Right. Because some of us were volunteers. I wasn't. I was low-paid security. Right. The way people would act and they would throw the chairs at you instead of handing them to you, it wasn't even safe for me to work there at night. Yeah. I didn't feel that way. Right. And I said, well, who's going to be coming? And they said, oh, we've got great acts. And then he also mentioned that if somebody is playing in Chicago or at Summerfest, they can't play here within 30 days of that day. Right, right. So I think we had some restrictions, and because they didn't put much money into it, yeah. I kind of felt sorry. It was a beautiful place. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. And But, I mean, and I think, I mean, I've just looked at the, at the way the schedule has changed over the years, like I was saying, and, and now... They were down to almost no dates to begin with. I mean, you had a handful of people that, that would come, the Dave Matthews Band, Buffett, a couple others. But in general, those days of two or three shows you know, in a given week, they've been gone forever. And I guess I'm just not sure I see them coming back. It's sad. It really is. And then when you hear that Summerfest is going to redo the Marcus Amphitheater, right. you figured you better do something to keep up with it. Well, yeah, exactly. Thanks. But then, of course, it's not just the Marcus Amphitheater that you're competing with, but you know, you're know you competing with a number of venues in Chicago. Uh, Wrigley Field has multiple concerts. Miller Park, they're doing concerts. But they also have I mean, similar type of shows that, that are playing in a couple of the outdoor venues that you have in the Chicago area. Look, I, I'm not wishing Alpine Valley ill. I mean, but I, I guess I think what happens is you have different venues that kind of they run their course, and Alpine Valley to me has been going downhill for for years and years. And I, I mean, I, I understand the economics of the concert business, and Live Nation is a big operation. But I'm trying to think. I, it's it's one thing to say we're going to put money in, we're going to be back next year. But what's going to be different about next year as a practical matter? You're still you're going to have even more intense competition, and you've got this venue that is you know, 40-plus years old that has a lot of issues with deferred maintenance. And at the end of the day, even if you put millions and millions and millions of dollars in it, you're, you're still dealing with a place that's in no offense if you live in East Troy. But comparatively, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's hard to get to if you're coming up from Illinois or you're coming down from Milwaukee or you're coming over from Madison. It's just it is difficult to get to. And you've started to see that um, with the, the, the attendance numbers that have been dropping dramatically. Now, is it going to become you know Northridge of 2018 next year? I, I, I don't know. Let's talk to uh, Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, well, personally, I think it's toast, but that said, if they need to completely redo their business model. They, mean, they need to stop going for the single-act you know, type venue situation, mm-hmm. going to more like a, like a country thunder, Twin Lakes. That's in the middle of nowhere. And right. I, I was going there for years and years and years, and places sold out. They have VIP camping. They have regular camping, stuff like that. Make it a destination where somebody's there for a week, right? Like there, the like the like the like the Lollapalooza festivals yeah, exactly. or stuff I mean, like they, that. Yeah. They might stand a chance then, but going for single acts. I mean, having gone there, I'm, I'm roughly your age, or whatever. Having gone, you know, seeing every everybody from Almond Brothers, right? Steve uh, Ray Vaughan, actually, right? I was at that concert. You were, and uh, yeah. was it the night before he died, the following that yeah. later that evening. Yeah. Wow, helicopter, yeah, right. And um, it's you know, I mean. It's had its run, but it needs to it needs to dramatically change a business model. It needs yeah. to be maybe like, like you say, a loud blues or, or right. a country thunder or something along that line where they have something going all week and 
where people can stay and camp, then yeah, then maybe ideal destination for that. Yeah, but but again, of course, then you've got the same problem is you still have this aging venue that you know you know is is there enough? If I mean, I'm just trying to think of it from a business perspective. Does the land have more value as something else, or do you sit there and say, okay, we're going to try to rejuvenate this like under your business model? But even so, that means we're going to have to put however many millions of dollars you have to put in to upgrade it so you can compete with the newer facilities. Well, I mean, when you when you look at, again, if you're looking at like a venue, like a like a Twin Lakes, that's nothing more than a, a freaking right. cornfield. Right. I mean, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. So, I mean, from but, that But, of course, that's just the one... The, the, that's that's a one weekend, right? Exactly. That's an event as opposed to we're going to do they this. Bought the land, but right. they bought the land. And they own yeah. it, and now they bought. You know, because they, they do one here and one in Twin Lakes and one in Arizona. Okay, so they look into your crystal ball. Do you think Alpine Valley is back with a full schedule of shows next summer? Nope. No, not not not, not in single, not for a single event type thing. Either it's going to be something where it's a you know right. week long thing, or right. it's just not going to happen. Yeah, th- thanks, Nicole. I. I I, I'm not. I'm not hoping for this, but I'm just. I, look, and I don't claim. I mean, the economics of a music business. I, I turned that over to my friends Don Smiley and Bob Abish. Um, but I think it's tough. Brian and Sean O'Brien, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. What do you think? Um, what do I think? <laughs> yeah, I, I worked for them for three years. Okay, and I, was, I was there when uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan died. I was okay. working security wow. and whatnot. But um, it just the three years I worked there, it was garbage. I mean, way back in the early 90s. This was right out of the 80s, early 90s. And it, it, the hard, hardest part about that is the nostalgic thing. Sure. Everybody, when you were younger, you was, we're going to Alpine Valley, you know. We're going to go and do it. And it just it's so sad to watch it just go. But if they can put some stuff into it and get bigger acts, then why not? I mean, it could be fun again. But nobody nowadays wants to go and sit in that. Right. You right. don't want to go sit in the grass, like you said. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? and, and I'm not 22 land. anymore, and I didn't really like well, it at 22, but I put up with it at 22. But I mean, if it rains on that venue, then oh. here comes that mudslide. Oh you know? yeah, no, that thanks. So, I'm sorry, but I got to let you go because I'm kind of up against the clock. But yes, we're or or stuck in the parking lot trying to get out. It's 11:55. We'll find out what Scafidi and Billstad have on their mind next. Stick around. 11:58. Jeff Wagner, 6:20. WTMJ. Scafidi and Billstad. Eric, Steve. So, Eric, you're not a lover of Irish music. You hate I, Irish music, huh? I I'm, say I, I, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm in this Irish bar on Friday, St. Patrick's Day, yes. and they've got like rock and roll music playing. No Irish music. I'm complaining. You say we were probably in the minority on it. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day, you're in an Irish bar. They should have Irish music. I, okay. I, I, right. I respect you. Isn't that why most music. of the people are there to listen to Irish music and drink green beer? I well, or Jameson's in my case, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's, absolutely. And now some of the people I think had been there since six in the morning. You know, but that's, <laughs> they that's, couldn't hear anything. Yeah, anyway. that, that, that's right. What are you saying? Um, what do you got coming up on the show? We're going to talk about the Badgers. Can't miss the Sweet 16 conversation. So Matt LaPay is going to join us, the voice of the Badgers. That's going to be fun. We're going to talk a little bit about the FBI director uh, testifying on Capitol Hill, what that's all about, and uh, certainly going to talk a little bit about guns and the mentally ill and how those things, in my mind, shouldn't go together. Does the Marquette demise and the fact that the Badgers are good all the time, does that, I, I ask this seriously, does that, eat at you a little bit is that frustrating as a marquette fan sure well i mean i first i'm, I'm not i'm not surprised that they lost the other night i, sure. I think that they're rebuilding the program and i think the fact that you know that they, they even made the ncaa as good as somebody who goes to most of the home games and they they weren't that good this mm-hmm. year so i'm glad that they made the tournament um i root against the badgers when they play marquette otherwise i'm, I'm happy that they're okay. doing okay so i'm i'm but but yes would i rather it be marquette in the sweet 16 
guilty. But for all you Wisconsin Badger fans, go for it. I am out of time. I'm back 830 tomorrow when we do this all again. Stick around. Scafidi and Bill Stead is next. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.